Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the Theapologetics Podcast, Episode 50, Second Class Citizen. My interview today is with Mike Felker from TheApologeticFront.com. Mike was on the show way back in episode 9, I think it was, and today he joins me again to talk about one specific Jehovah's Witness doctrine about the fate of believers after death. But as I mentioned in the intro to my previous interview with Michael Glatz, I have some house cleaning that I've got to do. First, the sad news. Uh, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but some listeners I think kind of like having a personal connection with me and you know I like it too so I'll share it. Those of you who follow my podcast on Facebook uh, might have already seen this but for those of you listening who don't, last Monday my wife and I found that our unborn baby baby had passed away. Um, It would have been 17 weeks along uh, but the baby measured 15 weeks so he or she had probably passed sometime in the two weeks leading up to that ultrasound appointment. Uh, as you can imagine, last week was tough. We had several medical appointments. We had a surgery and funerary arrangements. Um, we had to tell our children and our parents and other family and friends. And, of course, through all of that, we grieved. Uh, and perhaps it goes without saying we're still grieving. Um, although we f- are feeling more at peace now than we did at first, uh, I think that more intense bouts of grief are probably uh, in the road ahead of us. It's going to be about four or five weeks before we get the lab results back, at which point we'll find out the sex of the baby, and I'm sure that that's going to bring some tears. Uh, My wife has several friends who are pregnant and and at about the same stage as my wife would have been in. So being around those friends will uh, will be tough, I think, for us both emotionally. And, of course, as the due date approaches, uh, we may go through another rough patch as well. So, you know, we've got a long road ahead of us. For those of you who've been praying for us, thank you so much. God has been good to us, and, and he's comforted us as we go through this. Uh, we trust that he's sovereign, that he's wise, and that he's just. And our faith in him and in his son is, at least for the time, being firm. We're not angry with God or anything like that. Nevertheless, grieving is a process, um, and some of those kinds of feelings might be down the road. So please do continue to con- uh, pray for us and for all of our family and friends who are affected by our loss. Uh, my wife and I really appreciate it. Now that sad news out of the way, the next thing I need to explain is the gap that you may have noticed in the feed. A few weeks ago I interviewed an anonymous guest on the Restoration Movement and the Churches of Christ. Uh, In the interview he explained that his in-laws are still in the movement that he was critiquing and so to try and prevent friction between them and their church, he remained anonymous. Those episodes were published as episodes 45 and 46, but despite being anonymous, his in-laws were still very nervous. His father-in-law described a fellow member of his church as a professional web surfer, uh, and he was certain that this person would stumble upon our interview, uh, correctly identify my guest, and lash out at at his family. Meanwhile, I had contacted uh, somebody named Edward Fudge asking for an interview, something that I'm going to talk about in a moment. And he agreed, but not without first asking if he could appear to explain some of the distinctions between the more mainstream churches of Christ that he belongs to and the more sectarian, legalistic churches of Christ my guest was critiquing. As it turns out, Dr. Fudge has been a part of the churches of Christ for a very long time, and he's written on them extensively. So because of these two factors, 
um, the fear on the part of my guests' in-laws and Dr. Fudge's knowledge of the topic and his desire to chime in on my show, uh, my guest asked me to take those episodes down, and of course I obliged. Uh, one listener suggested that my guest was afraid to share his beliefs, but that's not it at all. He just he loves his wife and his in-laws and really didn't want to cause them undue stress and damage the relationship that he has with them. And, of course, I don't want to either. So that's why there's the gap in the feed between episodes 44 and 47. But if you're interested in this topic, you don't have to worry. As I said, uh, Dr. Fudge will be joining me soon, two days from now, in fact, to go over some of the same material my guest and I talked about and more. If you missed those episodes, you'll learn about the history of the Restoration Movement from which the Churches of Christ have emerged. You'll learn about what I think are the problematic practices and doctrines in one particular group within the Churches of Christ. And Dr. Fudge will add to that the ways in which the more mainstream Churches of Christ differ from this extreme fringe. Now what's more, in a couple of weeks, Dr. Fudge will join me again to uh, discuss what I originally reached out to him to talk about. Um, He's written a book called The Fire That Consumes. Um, and he's pretty infamous for promoting uh, a particular view of hell that goes somewhat contrary to the mainstream. Um, what we'll be talking about is his book, and an orthodox, I think, alternative to the tra- traditional view of hell called Annihilationism. So stay tuned for what I think are going to be a couple of really great interviews coming up in the very near future. Now, the final thing that I wanted to mention before I play today's promo is that finally, after nearly a year of podcasting, I got my second iTunes comment. Uh, This is by someone who calls him uh, or herself DEFCON1. The listener writes, This podcast has been food to my soul. Chris Date has the ability to explain sometimes complex biblical doctrines and make them understandable. The podcast has challenged me to rely less on personal feelings and more on sound biblical comprehension. I've learned more in just a few weeks than I have in years. Very edifying. Thanks, brother. Well, DEFCON 1, it's I who must thank you. Your words touch me deeply and they encourage me greatly. I'm so honored that you would include me as part of your growth and biblical study, and I hope that my podcast and guests will continue to edify you. So thanks so much for listening. It means a ton. And if anybody else has any uh, comments that they'd like to make on iTunes, I'd appreciate that as well. Now, with all that out of the way, with that longer-than-unusual monologue, that is, let's start over in the promo rotation and hear from my friend D.D. Warren, host of the Preterist Podcast. Hi, this is D.D. Warren of the Preterist Podcast where I discuss biblical prophecy without the hype and sensationalism found in many evangelical circles. So if you would like to learn a different, yet completely orthodox, way to view things, such as the Great Tribulation and the so-called Rapture, please have a listen. The podcast can be found on iTunes and many other podcasting directories, or can be found directly at PreteristPodcast.com. I love Didi's show. Uh, It's been very edifying to me. Um, it's what has probably been the single biggest influence on my understanding of eschatology. Um, and, uh, you know, I appreciate the show so much that I've contributed a couple of episodes to the show and um, am working on another one as well, a, a follow-up to the Kicking Some Left Behind series in which we uh, sort of tear apart the Left Behind series of books. So check all that out at the Preterist Pod, sorry, PreteristPodcast.com. I also contribute occasionally, it's been a while, but uh, to the preteristblog.com. I'll provide links to those in my show notes, and I would encourage you to check them out. I think that... I think that it's a great show, a great blog, and uh, and of course check out PreteristSite.com as well because you're going to find a lot of great um, research material there as well. So with that, let's go ahead and move into today's interview. I don't want to bear Santa Claus, Santa 
Joining me for a second time today is my guest, Mike Felker, recent guest on the Apologetics 315 podcast and creator of the website, The Apologetic Front, to talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses doctrine of life after death. Thanks so much for joining me again, Mike. Well, thanks, Chris. It's really good to be back with you. Now, really quick before we get started, I read a 20 questions kind of thing that you did with a friend of yours not long ago, and in it, you betray some very negative feelings about mayonnaise. So what's up with that? What, what did mayo ever do to you? Wow. Okay. That's, uh, that's, that's an interesting question, which most people, when they get to know me, uh, kind of figure this aspect. Actually, it doesn't take that long because someone, someone's cooking for me and I find out that they made mayonnaise, I will just absolutely not eat it. But <laughs> I, so, somehow along my life, I just grew what you might call a phobia for mayonnaise. I'm on the verge of being afraid of it. It just grosses me out so much. So um, I'm just convinced that a mayonnaise is a recipe from the devil himself. <laughs> so um, I'm afraid that if uh, I do eat mayonnaise, I'd be endangering my soul. I see. Um, well, so I'll, make, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that if we ever meet up for lunch, I, I serve you some mayonnaise un unbeknownst to you on the sandwich. Oh, I can tell you some stories. Oh, that, that very thing has happened from friends. So I don't want to give you any ideas. <laughs> okay. It sounds good. Well, it's been the better part of a year since last I interviewed you, and I'm sure that a lot's happened since then. Uh, last, the last time we spoke, you told us about a band that you're in. Can you remind us about that and talk about what your band has been up to this past year? Well, sure. I'm in a band. I play drums. Uh, our band's called The Status, and we got signed to Doghouse Records uh, about three uh, years ago and put out our first record uh, about that time. And we had been touring full-time all around the country up until uh, earlier this year. And just to make a long story short, a lot of doors got closed. Things started to slow down. And so uh, we haven't quit, but we've, we've just uh, slowed things down uh, significantly. And we're all just... We all just have other things that we want to, that we want to do in life. Uh, for one, I'm cons I, considering going to seminary, hopefully in the near future. And I ended up getting a new job and the rest of the other guys are kind of going down that same road of uh, getting some new jobs and career paths. So definitely a lot has changed in that area. I still do music, but uh, definitely not full time anymore. Yeah. Well, there's another thing that you were involved with not long ago. I, I was pleasantly surprised to see your name in my Apologetics 315 podcast feed. How did you get that opportunity, and, and what did you talk about? What did you and others think about the interview after it was published? Well, Brian Auten of Apologetics 315 has... Uh, actually, we, we've, I was going to say um, he's followed my blog, but I've also followed his blog for... Uh, a really long time, probably since he's he's been out. So we've always kind of kept in contact. And so um, Brian's probably more into just the general apologetics, more just, uh, you know, the, the arguments for morality, the proofs of God's existence. So he's more posting debates along those lines. Yet I, I haven't really noticed a whole lot, maybe not until recently, where he's getting into more of the, the cults or more of the theological topics. So mm. uh, I think... Because he's starting to get into some of that, uh, he wanted to contact me. But I'd say more specifically, what drew him to me is because he started meeting with uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I think that really uh, piqued his interest. And he realized just uh, the importance of being able to witness the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, knowing what you believe and uh, why you believe it. And so I think that really uh, set a spark 
in, in his mind to where he can really equip uh, other believers to be prepared uh, to offer uh, a defense for their beliefs. So I think that's what drew Brian to myself. What kind of feedback have you gotten from that interview? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, actually, I got a lot of really good feedback. I've got uh, a lot of different emails, some very encouraging ones. I haven't gotten any emails from Jehovah's Witnesses uh, about that interview, which I guess I'm not not too surprised uh, <laughs> for that. So, um, so, but yeah, I got really good feedback, a lot of good encouraging uh, messages, and I got some messages from people who uh, needed advice on witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses, and I think I even got several people who um, are in the Jehovah's Witnesses who uh, need help out. So it definitely uh, reaped uh, some, some blessings uh, as far as the feedback goes. That's really awesome. Well, well, speaking of Jehovah's Witnesses, although you've got sort of a variety of interests in the broader world of Christian theology, uh, you, you are particularly passionate about the Jehovah's Witnesses. Has there been any developments in that area since last we talked? Yeah, there's always a development uh, that, that can happen uh, because I'm just semi-regularly, not as much as I would like, but still posting uh, YouTube videos, still posting articles, still interacting with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. So, there, yeah, there's definitely been some developments, and just maybe to give you some uh, specifics, I, I can't name any names for obvious reasons, but sure. I know some uh, Jehovah's Witness apologists who have since uh, cast doubt um, on the organization. Like They no longer believe that the Watchtower uh, and the governing body are who they claim to be, and they've come to doubt some of the major doctrines uh, of the Watchtower. Um, and I'm thinking one in particular, uh, if he's listening to this, um, he actually started debating Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> on uh, some of those issues. So, so yeah, that's that's actually been really exciting just to see uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses who once staunchly defended uh, the truth, uh, or what they thought is the truth, um, about, about the Bible are now arguing against uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. So that's actually been very exciting to see, and that gives me... Um, a lot of hope. Not that I didn't already have hope, but I know that Jesus Christ is uh, powerful uh, enough to save anyone, even the most staunch of uh, apologists from uh, the cults. Yeah, yeah, that's really awesome. Well, last time we discussed the Jehovah's Witnesses very generally, um, we talked about a variety of their beliefs and, and how it is that you recommend we evangelize to them. But today we're going to sort of narrow our scope, uh, dig a little bit deeper into one specific area of their theology. But first, when I originally asked you which specific topic you wanted to address in your second appearance on my show, you gave this one to me, the one that we're going to be talking about in a moment. Why such an interest in this specific topic? Well, first, because uh, almost no one talks about this topic uh, when, whenever they're speaking Jehovah's Witnesses. Definitely, they almost never bring this topic up. Uh, and also, if you just listen to any lectures on Jehovah's Witnesses and whatnot, you just don't hear this, uh, this topic about the two classes discussed. You will almost always hear talks about uh, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the doctrine of God, which are all uh, very important topics. But you just, uh, I think that some people get lost in those topics and they think that's the be all end all. And, and I've heard many apologists recommend that those are the topics you should start with the deity mm -hmm. of Christ, uh, the doctrine of God, the Trinity, so on and so forth. And uh, I actually have uh, fairly recently come to disagree uh, with that mentality and that approach to witnessing too. 
uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And I think, in fact, it's more important uh, to start with this topic because I think this topic of the two classes is uh, so directly tied to their salvation. I mean, this is about salvation. You know, no doubt the deity of Christ and your doctrine of God, that can certainly play an important role in one's salvation, depending mm. on where, what you believe on that issue. But what I'm saying is, uh, just for an example, and we'll talk about this more, Chris, in the interview, but just the whole idea of being born again, right. uh, that issue is a stumbling block for Jehovah's Witnesses, and that is about salvation specifically. So why aren't we talking about uh, those issues with Jehovah's Witnesses? And um, I, I can't really give an, speak for everyone and give an answer, but I would say right now, um, that's what I'm talking about, and that's what I'm trying to get others to talk about, and that's what I hope that uh, a lot of your listeners can gather and be encouraged from with this interview. Yeah, me too. Well, this two-class theology that you just mentioned, um, it concerns the afterlife and the fate of believers after death. And to set the stage, I want to first summarize the Christian position. Um, as you might know, the subject of the so-called intermediate state has been a topic that I've discussed many times on my show. In fact, you and I just talked about it on the phone the other day. And while Jehovah's Witness doctrine does differ from most Christians in that area, we're not really talking about that today. Instead, we're talking about the time... <laughs> After that, you know, uh, the reason that the present state of deceased believers is sometimes called intermediate in contrast with the eternal state that comes after it. So tell us, however Christians might disagree about the timing of things like the Great Tribulation, the Millennium, all that kind of stuff, what is it that Christians have been uniform when it comes to the fate of believers at the end of the world as we know it? Well, I would say, if anything, Chris, that uh, Jesus is going to return. He's going to return physically, not some uh, invisible uh, presence. He's going to return physically, and there's going to be physical signs of his coming where everyone's going to know, and he's going to come to establish his kingdom and, and judge everyone. But uh, in addition to that, um, the, uh, the dead are going to be physically raised, mm -hmm. and uh, Jesus is going to judge. And uh, that's one area which all Christians um, just throughout the ages have been in agreement. But let's get a little bit more specific with that. Right. Um, uh, I believe, and many other Christians believe, that uh, the eternal hope of Christians is to live forever on uh, the new earth. And whenever you read some uh, books about Jehovah's Witnesses, I can name some specific authors, but almost any book you read on Jehovah's Witnesses, they're actually going to argue against them on their belief on paradise earth because Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the earth is going to be restored to a paradise, and that's something that you can almost guarantee uh, they're going to speak to you about at some point in your interactions. They're going to ask you, where do you think you're going to go um, and spend eternity? Most Christians are going to say heaven. Right. Uh, so what I'd like to accomplish also in this interview, Chris, is to, is to build a biblical case that the new earth is the eternal hope um, for Christians, and the Jehovah's Witnesses are right um, in in their belief that that uh, the eternal hope for Christians is um, is the new earth. And so, yeah, there is a distinction amongst Christians uh, on on that issue, but I definitely stand uh, on on the side that says the new earth is the hope. 
Yeah, and, and actually, uh, you know, as I explained to you on the phone the other day, I'm actually quite surprised that apologists to Jehovah's Witnesses would disagree with this because, uh, the, you know, the earliest creeds, the earliest teachings of the fathers throughout the history of the church, as you said, the eternal hope of Christians has been the bodily resurrection of the dead in, in the new earth. Uh, and so what you're saying, I find kind of ironic, not only about the Jehovah's Witness apologists, but also that this is actually the one place where when it comes to everything we're going to discuss today, Jehovah's Witnesses agree with historic Christianity about Paradise Earth. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. But a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, just like a lot of Christians, are very uninformed on that issue. In fact, I, I, I almost got so annoyed from hearing this from Jehovah's Witnesses and saying that we're the only ones who uh, believe in, in the new earth, or they call it paradise earth, that you can use those interchangeably. But I got so tired of hearing that, and I wanted to show them that, no, it's not the case that only Jehovah's Witnesses uh, believe uh, that we'll spend eternity on uh, restored earth. But who knows, maybe that's just been their experience, and they go door to door. They're so used to people saying, I'm going to heaven, I'm going yeah. to heaven. Uh, but what I did was I found a video uh, that was between... Um, uh, John Piper, Doug Wilson, Sam Storms, and another theologian whose name I can't remember, but uh, it was called an evening an, uh, an evening of eschatology, and you can just Google that and you can you can find the video. But in that um, video, John Piper asked a very interesting question to these other prominent theologians, and they're definitely evangelical mainstream uh, theologians. But he asked them uh, basically, "Do you believe that?" We will spend eternity on a restored earth, and all of them unanimously uh, said yes. And yeah. they and they went on from there to uh, discuss how Jesus is going to return physically to the new earth. It's not heaven where we're going to spend eternity, but it's earth, and they're very clear to emphasize that. So what I did was I um, posted a YouTube video. And I uh, listed a quote from a watchtower basically suggesting that Jehovah's Witnesses are the only ones uh, who believe in the restored earth. But I, right after that, I posted this video from these four uh, prominent evangelical theologians saying, we believe in a paradise earth. So, so yeah, it's, uh, so, so Jehovah's Witnesses definitely, uh, are in line with, uh, mainstream theologians that, uh, the new earth is the eternal hope for Christians, whether they realize that or not. Yeah. Well, and, and as you said, you know, maybe part of the problem is that their experience has been that most Christians identify their hope as being something that's in heaven. And that's really unfortunate. And it's something that I've spoken about many times in my podcast, actually. But the interesting thing is, it seems to me that that's about where the similarities end between what they teach and what the Bible teaches. Because while they believe that that may be the fate of perhaps most believers, that's not where all believers will find themselves. Tell us about that. Right. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses are uh, definitely going to emphasize uh, at your door that um, their hope is for everlasting life on a new earth. And just, just to point out one thing, if you really want to surprise a Jehovah's Witness in a good way, um, maybe if you emphasize that first to them, uh, that could be a real shocker, but in a very good way. And that can really set the stage for productive conversation. In other words, uh, bring up to them texts like Psalm uh, 3729, where it says the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Or go to Matthew 5, 5, where it says, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And these are verses that the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, go to to establish their belief uh, of, of life on a restored paradise earth. But, but you're right, Chris, uh, that's not the case for all Christians in their view. 
And uh, basically what they believe is that there is going to be a ruling class of 144,000 who they call uh, the anointed class. And this group of uh, Christians will rule in heaven with Christ for all eternity. So just to give you a, a really clear and concise summary, they believe that most Job's witnesses will be resurrected uh, to uh, a restored earth, and a group of 144,000 Job's witnesses are going to rule over them um, in heaven. And so that's why we call this a two-class theology. There's one class in heaven and another class on earth. And and uh, one thing that uh, you'll get a lot of mix-up with, uh, if you just ask, ask anyone on the street what they think about Job's witnesses, they might say something like, well, those guys just believe that... Um, 144,000 are going to heaven, and that's it. So what's the point in even going around door to door? Right. Well, that's that's a misconception because that's not what they believe. They believe the 144,000 are going to heaven, but the rest of them will um, will live forever on earth. That's a very common misconception, but uh, hopefully we can help uh, clear that up so that uh, another Jehovah's Witness won't get um, get the wrong idea that uh, you know Christians like ourselves are, are uh, not um, uninformed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you some questions about these 144,000. How many of them are believed to have lived or are alive today? Well, in the end, um, there's going to be a total of 144,000. But as far as how many are alive today, uh, I the only numbers I have are um, from the 2010 yearbook of Jehovah's Witnesses. And the way they know, um, I guess you could say objectively, um, how many uh, of the anointed there are, is uh, how many of them partake of the bread and the wine at their yearly memorial. Hmm. And that's something I'm sure we'll get into um, later on in the interview as far as um, that distinction there as to why only the anointed class of 144,000 uh, partake of the bread and the wine. But uh, as of uh, 2009, um, there were 10,857 uh, Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide who partook of the bread and the wine. And so that's where they're getting their number, maybe a little bit less than that, or it could be a little bit more. But we could just say um, in the in the um, under 10,000, maybe at, the, at this point, it could be a little bit over uh, 10,000. So that that's about how many are, are alive today of the anointed class. Now, you, you just a moment ago, you called them the anointed class. What, what does that title communicate, if anything, beyond where they'll spend eternity? Well, that's actually a difficult question to answer uh, because the Watchtower has interestingly changed their view on this. And uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Um, there's a book uh, called Isaiah's Prophecy that's published by uh, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. And on and on page uh, 228 says that the anointed would be blessed with an abundance of true knowledge and spiritual insight, and they're applying Daniel chapter 12, verse 3 and 4 uh, to the anointed. And there's many other quotations um, you, you could uh, come up with to show that uh, this anointed class, they don't just go to heaven and rule with Christ, so they have special insight. And the reason they have to have special insight is because the Watchtower Society, or the governing body in general, they publish literature uh, for all Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide uh, to read and believe. And I don't say that word believe lightly. They actually have to have absolute unquestionable obedience to whatever the Watchtower Society puts in print. So uh, you can read it. 
You can ask questions about it, but the answers that are given to you, you must believe. And that is an absolute uh, must for any Jehovah's Witness. There's no independent thinking. You can't think about these things uh, for yourself. You just take the instruction and and you, you go with it and, and you believe it. But uh, something else that's interesting is that you can find... Other Watchtower quotations where it seems to say that the anointed really aren't uh, that special. <laughs> in fact, in uh, 2007, um, uh, Watchtower, uh, May 1st, page 31, it says, Genuine anointed Christians do not demand special attention. Um, they don't believe that their being of the anointed gives them special insights. So that's their words. That's not mine. So mm. the ones that all Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide are supposed to have absolute unquestionable submission to anything they put in print, well, they have to view them as people who don't have special insights. And that's kind of odd. You would think that if um, they're ba basically putting their very salvation in their hands, uh, they should have something special about them. But uh, apparently from quotations like these, they do, they do not. But just to represent uh, them fairly, uh, they do believe that, uh, the faithful and discreet slave of Matthew chapter 24, uh, that's referring to uh, the anointed class, um, or more specifically the governing body, because ultimately the governing body of the seven men um, who basically run the entire organization, those are the ones who uh, decide uh, what Jehovah's Witnesses are going to believe. So whether they have special insight um, or or not, um, those ones have special delegated authority. And so um, I'm assuming you could ask any Jehovah's Witness, if they're wrong, will they be judged harshly? Well, some of them might say, uh, yeah, they certainly they certainly would, because that's a very um, high responsibility. But, but to answer your question, Chris, is basically, do they have um, special insights? Yes. And also the answer is no. <laughs> and and uh, Job's Witness might even um, uh, admit that to you because they believe that things are constantly changing. Um, you know, what they believe tomorrow may not be what they believed yesterday. Yet you're supposed to believe everything uh, they teach you. So <laughs> hope that answers your question on that one. Yeah, I think it does. Now, how is it that one knows if he or she is one of these anointed 144,000? That's a good question, and uh, just to give you a little bit of background um, uh, for me, the way I found this out, and I think I mentioned this on our last interview, Chris, was that um, uh, back when I was in college, I did a, a project on Jehovah's Witnesses where I had to interview them about their beliefs on the death, their their beliefs on death and the afterlife. And one of the questions I did ask them was, um, "How if, if you believe that you're going to spend uh, life on Paradise Earth?" Because you have that desire to do so, then how do the anointed class know they're going to heaven? Because the Bible doesn't list their names or anything like that. Right. Well, what they say is that like most Job's witnesses have that desire to live on earth rather than heaven, the anointed have a desire to go to heaven. Uh, but to get more specific with that, they would go to texts like Romans 8.16 and take it completely out of context, but they, they, they read that and saying the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so they believe they have this inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. And um, we'll get into more, more of this later, I'm sure, Chris. But if you're 
called one of the sons of God or the children of God to Jehovah's Witnesses, that means you're one of the anointed who are going to heaven. So, uh, so basically, there, there's some other um, uh, answers to give with that. But ba- basically, the anointed know that they're one of the anointed if they have that desire to be so. Is that is that kind of like how the it's kind of like the Mormon belief that you'll have an inner testimony to the truth of the of Joseph Smith that kind of thing. I would say it's similar, but I would – it's really kind of hard to compare. I would say it's a little bit closer to uh, maybe the um, the Protestant uh, mindset to where, um, you know, the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. Gotcha. Um, it's, it's a little more Protestant and a little bit less Mormon because the Mormons would believe it's actual revelation maybe, but the Jehovah's Witnesses are a little more conservative than that. I see. Well, so you mentioned the titles anointed class. You've called them a ruling class, 144,000. Are, are there titles for those who, unlike this 144,000, will spend eternity on earth? H- how is it that they're referred to? Basically, the ones who are going to live forever on paradise earth, the Jehovah's Witnesses will call the great crowd, uh, which is a term taken uh, from Revelation chapter 7, or they can call themselves the other sheep, which is from uh, John chapter 10, verse 16, which is actually about um, Gentiles, but they think it's about those who will spend eternity on earth. So, yeah, you'll hear that lingo if you ever go into a kingdom hall, which is where the Jehovah's Witnesses worship. You'll hear talk about the great crowd or the other sheep, but that's basically the terms used for those who will spend eternity on a paradise earth. Okay. And with which of these two groups do Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus will be present for eternity? Will he be in heaven with this anointed class? Will will he be on earth with the rest? Well, Jesus, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, was raised in a a non-physical body to heaven. And from that point on, he stays in heaven as a spirit creature. And so he never returns to earth physically, which is contrasted to um, Orthodox Christianity. Uh, so he stays in heaven, and the, the, the ruling class of anointed 144,000 will uh, spend eternity with, with him in heaven. So, uh, so he, Jesus never goes to earth. He's never with the great crowd on earth. He's only with uh, the anointed in heaven. Well, I'm curious then, is there any sense in which they believe that the great crowd uh, is is it all closer to God than they are right now? Does if that makes any sense? Close, closer to God. What, what do you mean? Well, not exactly? physically, but I mean, you know, you and I believe, and, and Christians have historically believed that we that Jesus will be physically present on Earth with us. And so, there's a sense in which you could say that our relationship with Christ is uh, more maybe palpable um, in in the resurrection than it is now. You know, we'll, we'll see Him. We'll be able to presumably touch Him. That kind of thing. But if they don't, but if they believe that Jesus remains in heaven with the uh, anointed class, um, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is, in what sense do they believe that, that they're in the resurrection different from what they are now? Well, yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses um, are quite distant from Jesus as it is. They don't believe in having a relationship with Christ. They don't believe in um, praying to Jesus Christ. So. Uh, not much will will change in that in that area as as far as how they'll relate to him because uh, actually just to be specific it won't it won't be any different than it is now um, you know they'll be in they'll be in resurrected bodies but uh, but Jesus is in heaven now they can't pray to him talk to him uh, worship him they can't do any of that so when the resurrection comes uh, not much is going to change now they will say they'll they'll have a, a closer relationship with Jehovah. Mm. But 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 I I don't, I don't think they would uh, say that their relationship with Jesus is going to change because they've never had one. 
I see. That makes sense. Now, if my memory serves me, and it very likely doesn't, but um, you know, there were many, many, many years ago that uh, that I was um, very briefly involved with the Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, I was a kid still, and it, I seem to recall that those who will live forever on Earth isn't limited only to faithful Jehovah's Witnesses. Is that the case? Might it include unbelievers of of all stripes? Might it include Christians in the more orthodox sense? Anything like that? Yeah, it definitely won't include only Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, during the millennial reign of Christ, which the Jehovah's Witnesses um, take a very similar view to uh, what we call premillennialists, with a few distinctions. But um, just to read you a quotation, this is from their publication, Reasoning from the Scriptures, on page 297. It says, Who though are the righteous mentioned in Acts 24.15? These would include the great masses of mankind who have died throughout history, particularly those who lived in times of ignorance. These, because of, the, of where they were born or when they lived, had no opportunity to learn obedience to Jehovah's will. Additionally, and here's where um, it really answers the question, there may be some who did hear the message of salvation, but who did not respond fully at that time or who died before they had progressed to dedication and baptism. In the resurrection, such ones will have to make further adjustments in their thinking and life course if they're going to benefit from this opportunity for gaining everlasting life. So uh, it's kind of hard to say who exactly will be resurrected, and I've heard different things from different Jehovah's Witnesses, but uh, I would say we can be pretty safe in saying that their belief is that it won't be only Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, but uh, those ones who maybe weren't hard against their beliefs um, possibly uh, might get resurrected and have a, a chance to prove themselves. But it's hard to say someone like me or you um, or Hitler or, or, or people like that, which, you know, if we're, we're, we're opposers of the truth, according <laughs> uh, to them. So maybe we're just as bad as, as Hitler uh, in their eyes. I don't, I don't know, but, but uh, I've gotten different answers, but, 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 but there definitely will be non-Jehovah's Witnesses on Paradise Earth. So we wouldn't go so far as to say that they're universalists, but would it be fair to say that at least in the sense you've described, they could be called inclusivists? That's yeah, I, I would say so. I would say that they they definitely are in, inclusivists, though um, they would say that uh, not. It, see, it's not the case when they're when the the thousand year millennium is happening. It's not that only the the unrighteous will have to prove themselves for that thousand years. Jehovah's Witnesses uh, will also have to prove themselves. So it's almost like the unrighteous who get resurrected are going to have just as good of a shot as the Jehovah's Witnesses as far as obedience is concerned. I see. Well, now there's more to this two-class theology than just the fate of the dead that listeners might find interesting. Uh, you know, for example, as Christians, we would say that being born again, you mentioned this before, is something that happens to every believer when they are regenerated and saved. But, but that's not the case with Jehovah's Witnesses, is it? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, but it's interesting you bring this up because in the reasoning of, from the Scriptures book, and, and this book is a, a booklet that the Jehovah's Witnesses might have at your door, and, and it's written in such a way to where they can answer questions from you. If you're objecting to something, uh, they can kind of flip to it and find that question that you're objecting with, and they'll have an answer. Well, there's one question um, in this book that's interesting, and it, and, it, and it says, Have you been born again? And this is on page 79. And it says, You might reply, if someone asks this at your door, I find that what people mean by born again, it's not always the same. Could you tell me what it means to you? That's one answer you could give. Or you could say, 
You want to know whether I have accepted Jesus as my Savior and have received the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Well, may I assure you that the answer is yes. Otherwise, I would not be talking to you about Jesus. So on one scale, the Job's witnesses would try to avoid that question if you ask them if they're born again, rather than just saying, no, that's only in reference to the anointed class. Uh, they might be assuming, and rightfully so, that you only mean to ask them if they're a Christian. But what we should do if we ever have that opportunity to ask them uh, at the door whether they're born again, you should say, well, could we turn to John chapter 3, and let's find out what Jesus is talking about. Now, are you born again in the sense that Jesus describes in John uh. chapter 3? So if you do that, rather than allowing them to beat around the bush and divert the topic, um, you can ask them directly, because what they will say is that, no, being born again in the sense that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 3 is only in reference to the anointed class of 144,000. And basically what uh, being born again means to a Jehovah's Witness is um, ruling in heaven with Christ. I see. Well, so, you know, you mentioned John 3. So, so does that mean that since Jesus talks about being born again as a prerequisite for seeing the kingdom of God, that means that faithful Jehovah's Witnesses who live forever on earth aren't part of or, or don't see the kingdom of God, something like that? Well, they would say that they're uh, a part of the kingdom of God, but they they... They won't see the kingdom of God. And the reason is they define the kingdom of God uh, very specifically. Um, most of the time, if you'll ask a Jehovah's Witness, what does the kingdom of God mean? It means God's government in heaven. Um, now, they do equivocate on that definition of the kingdom of God because you can find other uh, definitions where it actually means the sphere of rulership, which obviously... Uh, will encompass earth. Right. But they use that narrow definition of the kingdom of God most of the time, and that, that's, that's all the definition that many Job's witnesses will know, is that that's God's government in heaven. So uh, only those who um, go to heaven are the only ones who will see the kingdom of God. You can't see God's government in heaven from earth because you, you, you can't see heaven from earth. Right. So, that, so that's why they would apply uh, John chapter... Uh, three uh, only uh, to the anointed class. I see. Another thing that, that fascinates me, uh, and I could be wrong about this. It's you know I, my my crash course in Wikipedia might have <laughs> given me a little bit of wrong information here, but another, it seems to me as though whereas Christians would say that the entire church, uh, universal, comprises the bride of Christ, that may not that's not necessarily the case. What Jehovah's Witnesses believe is that right? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, they believe that the the bride that's spoken about in uh, the book of Revelation and elsewhere is strictly limited uh, to the anointed class. Uh, I mean, they they will make a, a distinction and say that um, you know the congregation uh, encompasses all uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, whether they're the great crowd of, or of the anointed. But but yes, you're right. If it's the bride, then that's speaking of the anointed class. And what about being adopted as sons of God? You know, the, the Bible talks about us receiving the spirit of adoption by which we can cry, Abba, Father. Uh, but but the, does the Watchtower limit that to the anointed class? Yes, and the reason they, uh, they limit it to the anointed class is because, like I mentioned before, they believe that only the anointed are going to be rulers in heaven with Christ. And so what they'll do is they'll go to texts like Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, where it says this, uh, which I quoted earlier and you just referred to, uh, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so um, if you're not going to be an heir with Christ, 
and rule with him in heaven, then you can't be a son of God. And so that's how they, they take that phrase, sons of God, and apply it strictly to the anointed class. Wow. Are there some additional practical implications of this distinction between the two classes? Uh, I'm thinking things like the Lord's Supper. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really big one. Uh, if you go to a Jehovah's Witness memorial um, service, which uh, takes place um, one time in April of every year, and it's, it's where the Jehovah's Witnesses will go around like they never go around. Um, I mean, And I mean that in the sense they, they put more effort uh, for this as far as going door to door and letting people know. It's a very public service where they try to invite everyone they can to come. But it's where they observe uh, the Lord's Supper, and that takes place in April. And uh, what you'll notice there um, is that no one in the whole congregation will be partaking, um, unless you're uh, unless you're one of the lucky ones and you happen to be in a congregation uh, where one of the ten thousand people worldwide happens to be where you are, and you'll see maybe those one or or, or two people uh, partaking. But yeah, they limit uh, the partaking of the Lord's Supper strictly to uh, the anointed class, and that's actually a really uh, that has some really big implications because uh, Jesus himself said, uh, do this in remembrance of me. And what's the do this that Jesus speaks of? Well, uh, that's partaking. Right. And so if you're not partaking of the bread and the wine, then you aren't remembering Jesus Christ. And so you basically have over 7 million Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide neglecting to re- remember Christ. They might be, quote-unquote, observing the Lord's Supper, but uh, they aren't doing this in remembrance of Christ, though, which is partaking. So there, there, there's many implications, and and like we already mentioned already, uh, the being born again, they deny being born again, and that's directly yeah. taught. You, you you can't deny being born again and a claim to, to be a Christian, and they also believe that only the anointed class are um, are of the new covenant. Oh, wow. And and they also believe that that Jesus Christ is the mediator, the strict mediator for only uh, the anointed class. So so yeah, there's there's all kinds of um, implications um, uh, of of the issue of salvation that's directly tied to this two class of theology. And we bar- we we're barely going to get this scratch <laughs> the surface with it, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. What about the what about the governing body? Um, does does the two class distinction have an impact on who can be a part of that organization? Yeah, it does, and you actually have to be uh, a member of the anointed class to be in the governing body. And basically, the governing body represents the anointed class. It's not that. Um, well, I was about to say they don't have special insights. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'm not really sure. And like I mentioned before, it's kind of hard to nail the watchtower down on that because on one hand they say uh, the anointed have special insights, and on another hand they say they don't. <laughs> so it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say. But but the, the the safe answer would be that the governing body represents all of the anointed class. I see. Now I'm curious. If only the anointed, anointed can serve in the governing body, and if there are a limited number in this anointed class, it can't be much longer before there won't be anyone alive to lead the Jehovah's Witnesses who are because there will no longer be any more anointed. Do, do you think that things will be wrapped? Do they think, I guess, that things will be wrapped up before that's going to happen? 
Yeah, Chris is about to ask you. Do you think I'm a futurist? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a little more preterist leaning, so I'm not really sure when it's going to happen. But as far as uh, what, what they think about on that issue, yeah, they definitely think that um, the end is very, very, very near, and mm. they they definitely aren't silent about that at all. It seems like almost every Watchtower magazine they put in print now has something going on about the end times. But but yeah, Chris, I find that that aspect of it interesting too uh, because. Uh, the governing body, um, if it's 30 or 40 years from now, there may not be an anointed class left because there's only 10,000 left. So if that does wrap up, um, I don't know. But that, that's a good question that maybe uh, you can ask a Jehovah's Witness or I can ask a Jehovah's Witness. But it's definitely something I think about. And uh, the clock is definitely ticking in that area um, because uh, they've made several prophecies uh, in the past that I won't I won't get into, but yeah, the, the clock is definitely ticking on that, and I think that's something that Job's witnesses definitely should think about. Mm. Well, I have one more question for you before we shift gears. Um, given some of the implications we've talked about, the fact that you know only this anointed class will spend eternity with Christ, that there's they're the only ones who are born again, that they're the only ones who are the bride of Christ, the only ones who are the sons of God, the only ones who can partake in the Lord's Supper, all of these things in mind, what do you think is the emotional sort of psychological impact of this doctrine on your average, ordinary, non-anointed Jehovah's Witness, if any? I mean, do you find that they're affected some way, whether they acknowledge it or not? I think it does affect them um, in many, many different aspects. And I would say the biggest way it affects them is the issue of salvation because a lot of those salvation texts, you know, like John chapter 3 and the ones talking about the new covenant or partaking, and those are just so uh, closely knit together just with the doctrine of justification, uh, the doctrine of the atonement, all of these things that... Um, seem to be applied exclusively to the anointed in a, in, a, in a very particular way. I think that does affect Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, as you and a lot of your listeners might already know, it's a very work-based uh, salvation. And so a lot of those texts that speak of uh, salvation by faith alone, a lot of those passages um, are speaking uh, specifically in reference to the anointed class. And in fact, the entire New Testament uh, was written for the anointed class, but what they'll say is they benefit from these things. It may not be, you know, they're not in the new covenant, but they benefit from the new covenant, and so that's how they view those things. But, 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 uh, yeah, I definitely think there are some uh, major psychological impacts, and and also as far as how they're supposed to have absolute, unquestionable obedience uh, to the Watchtower Society, um, I, can, I can just imagine some of them thinking to themselves. Um, well, if they don't have special insights, how come they get to decide what's true and what's not? How come I don't get to decide what's true and what's not? Can I uh, read this passage in the Bible and decide for myself um, what it means? And so you're basically not supposed to do that if you're uh, one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I, I, I just can't imagine uh, reading the Bible through that kind of grid and just having to view it through the lens of the yeah. watchtower. And I'm sure so many Jehovah's Witnesses are just so numb uh, to that that they don't even think about it anymore. And that's that's really sad. It is sad. You know, I described it in one of my episodes kind of like being, like getting on a bus, a bus blindfolded. Yeah, you know, you're basically giving up any ability to see where it is that you're headed if you get on the bus blindfolded. And you might just end up driving right off a cliff, you know? Great, great illustration. Sad illustration, but that's uh, that's about what it's like. Yeah. Yeah.
Okay, that was part one with the interview with Mike Felker. Uh, we're going to move on in the next episode into talking about biblical passage that Jehovah's Witnesses use to support their position and how to refute those. So join me for the next episode. Until then. Until then.